0: You're listening to just one of the guys. The best Green Lantern podcast on the internet. Uh, if you don't include Green Lantern's Light. Or the Lantern Cast, Or the Book of Oa. Heck, let's just leave it at it's a Green Lantern podcast on the internet. We'll just go with that. That's good. It's not that easy being green, having to spend each day the color of the leaves, when I think it could be nicer being red, or yellow, or gold, or something much more colorful like that. Hello and welcome to episode three of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. My name is Sean Engel. I'm going to be the host for this podcast, whose sole mission is to cover the Green Lantern books starting in 1990 and finishing off in the year 2004, while along the way covering the Guy Gardner series and putting a special emphasis on the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern character. As I've said in prior issues, episodes, issue-sodes, I guess, coined by uh, Chris Honeywell and Scott Gardner. I will be doing my best to shine a spotlight on these two characters and hopefully show why I think these are some of the best Green Lantern characters that the DC Comics Company has produced. They're really overlooked, as I've said before, and I think they need to be kind of given their due. For preamble to the show, I really don't have that much to say. Things are going along, well, as smoothly as they can be with my limited... uh, podcasting skill and my limited internet ability skill. I'm hoping I'm getting some more stuff done on the website, so hopefully you'll be able to get cover images and a place to leave comments and possibly even an embedded player so you can listen to the podcast while you're at your computer if you'd rather do that rather than listening to it on your MP3 player of choice. At the beginning here, I'd also like to give a few quick shout-outs to a couple of my good friends who've given me some advice about the podcast. Uh, Luke Giaconetti, I really appreciate you for playing the promo on your show. The excellent Daikaiju podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. It's now a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. Uh, If you like giant monsters, if you like Super Sentai, if you like the Power Rangers, Luke's probably going to cover all this in his show. It's a really fun show. Go ahead and go out and listen to that. Secondly, I would also like to credit from the Two True Freaks podcast, Mister Chris Honeywell, who gave me the awesome artwork for my podcast. Now, I need to try and figure out how to get that on the website. Uh, I am not an HTML programmer, and I'm trying to figure this out on my own. So, if there are people out there with web building experience, especially working with the Libsyn site, who would be willing to give me some tips and pointers on how to get the web page looking a little better, I would greatly appreciate it. You can send that information to me at the website's email address at justoneoftheguyspodcast.gmail.com. Any information it would be greatly appreciated, and I'd be willing to give you a little plug on the show if you could help me out. However, I do want to point out that if any of you download this podcast through iTunes, you can see Chris Honeywell's photoshopped image for my banner poster up there. And let me tell you, if you have not seen any of Chris Honeywell's photoshopped posters for any of the Two True Freak stuff, you need to go check them out. They are always hilarious. And the one that he did for my show, he did in a matter of hours. He took the idea and concept that I had and fleshed it out, and just perfectly represented it. I could not be happier with it, and I am going to find some way to prominently display it on my webpage, because it is that awesome. Well, with that out of the way, I'm going to play a few promos, and then we're going to get into what, hopefully, you all came here to listen to, my review of Green Lantern Comic number three. So here's the promos. Enjoy. Enjoy.
1: He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke The Jonah Hex Podcast Available Thursdays at twotruefreaks.libson.com
0: Of Mongo in peace. Wait, he said Mongo, Dindy. That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies. A podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of The Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at Flashlegacies.com.
1: Hey, everybody. My name is Michael Bailey, and this is the trailer with a truly epic ending to my new show about Batman, appropriately titled Bailey's Batman Podcast. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a weekly program that looks at a month in the life of the Dark Knight Detective, starting with the books bearing a March 1983 cover date, which is where my solid run of the characters' comics begins, and moving forward until... Well, at least until the books that came out in 2005, because that's where the solid run ends. Each week I will give you a full synopsis and review of every major ongoing Batman title, with brief stops along the way to look at the important specials, miniseries, one-shots, and Elseworld stories just to keep things interesting. I'll also be telling you what other books Batman appeared in that month, as well as what was going on elsewhere in the DCU is going to be all Batman all the time as I look at over 20 years of the character's history. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the epic ending to this trailer. You ready? The first appearance of Jason Todd. Death in the family. Nightfall. Epic. No Man's Land. Do you have chills yet? All of that and more. Will be covered on Bailey's Batman Podcast every Tuesday at bailey'sbatmanpodcast.com. Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium? watch our podcast but well, you can watch podcasts but not ours because let's face it we've got faces for radio uh, no wait I've got it give me a second right what just listen to our podcast listen to our podcast snap it it's short sweet I'm liking it it's good it's great not exactly telling people what our podcast about though is it we read comics we read comics that's true It's good liking it liking this pitch carry on right we talk about comics we do we talk about comics we read comics and then we talk about them because we can't talk about them before we read them excellent keep going uh, we sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Age is coming! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com?
0: And we're back. So, let's hit it. Let's start with Green Lantern number three. Green Lantern 3 was cover dated August 1990. The writer was Gerard Jones, penciler was Pat Broderick, inker was Bruce Patterson, letter Albert Guzman, the colorist Anthony Tolan, assistant editor Kevin Dooley, editor Andy Helfer. All the same guys from last time. Title this time is Sound and Fury. The story opens with Hal Jordan walking down a lonely highway, waxing philosophical. He's having no luck hitching a ride, and his no luck has taken a turn for the even worse as the persistent thorn in his side, Guy Gardner, shows up along the roadside. Guy asks him why he's headed to Kudzu City by foot when he could easily be flying to Shanghai, and Hal reaffirms his desire to find his own way with his feet on the ground. Guy, quote unquote, helps Hal in hitching a ride to the city by, quote unquote, seductively showing his leg and then allowing a speeding farm truck to run into his ring-powered force field. After presumably burying the bodies of the men thrown from the truck, Guy and Hal continue their conversation over coffee and donuts at the local Kudzu City Diner. Hal is still all about making it on his own, but Guy isn't buying it. To prove that he can do just as well without using his ring, Guy challenges Hal to a fight. Hal enthusiastically agrees, and the two Green Lanterns remove the rings and step outside. Being a small redneck town, everyone turns out to see the brawl. Guy throws a haymaker, which Hal ducks while delivering a mean uppercut to Guy's chin. Knocked to the ground, Guy throws a kick to Hal's abdomen, repays him with an uppercut of his own. More Fighting McFightenstein, copyright 2011, Andrew Leyland, occurs as 2 onlooking yokels sneak back into the diner, just as the local tubby sheriff shows up with an offer of a place to stay for our pugilists. Sitting together in lockup, Guy confesses why he's been hounding Hal. It seems that Guy feels that his ring is what defines him, and with Hal foregoing his ring to find his own way, Guy is stuck being the second stringer who can never live up to Hal's legacy. Hal tells Guy that he's made mistakes before, but relying the ring that he has on his finger. Oops. Guy and Hal yell for the sheriff to let them get their rings back, but a quick call to the diner reveals that someone took off with the two most powerful weapons in the universe. Cut to Oa, where an imprisoned Jon Stewart is being serenaded by the mad guardian. The guardian attempts to create a mind union with John, probing his memories of his past. The Guardian tells John of his loneliness, and says that he can bring the places and their memories to Oa to keep them company. And with a thought, a beam of green energy streaks through space to the Guardian's home planet of Malthus. The beam surrounds the city, ripping it from the very ground and transporting it to Oa. The Guardian says that he can do this with all the planets they've been to, even Earth. Back on Earth... The two yokels who earlier ran from the fight are trying out their new power rings by creating chainsaw and six-pack constructs. Reveling in their new powers, the deliverance extras decide to head into town to get some retribution on them who done them wrong. After freaking out the locals with a giant raccoon, kicking in the window of the local liquor store, and dropping a ring construct meteor on the town's only police car, the sheriff allows Hal and Guy out when Hal says that he's the only one who can stop them. Hal and Guy confront the two sheep lovers as they try to take down the ringless lanterns with a bobcat, pitchfork, and chainsaw construct. But Hal is able to use his will to override the rings and clock the brother cousins, taking his ring back and ending their reign of corn shuckiness. As Hal and Guy walk down the road away from the town, Guy congratulates Hal on using his will to stop the rings. Guy even goes so far as to say that Hal is the best damn Green Lantern he's seen. Hal thanks Guy for the compliment, but says he's done being in GL, and he wants to make it on his own. Hal walks down the highway, as Guy marvels what a brave SOB Hal is. Alright, let's go ahead and start in with my notes, and we'll start with the cover. This is an impressive one. Now, the background's not much to say for, it's an all-white background, but it's a beautiful image of how Jordan, teeth gritted, looking very frustrated, just punching Guy Gardner in the face. And... Guy's got this look on his face like De Niro from Raging Bull with the spittle flying right out of his mouth. It's a really dynamic, awesome color. Broderick and Nelson do a great job uh, giving you an idea of some horrible, nasty fight is going to go on in this book. Page 1, panel 5, we get the obligatory opening march of Hal down the Lonesome Road. And, of course, this time, Hal seems to be wearing some Ray-Bans, but for all intents and purposes, it looks like he's constructed the Ray-Bans of his ring. I mean, they are really green-looking, so for all the eschewing of, oh, I'm not going to make Green Lantern, I'm not going to use my ring, it looks like whenever you know he needs some sunglasses, he'll pop up a, con- a construct when he needs them page two, panel one, we see our first entrance of Guy Gardner, and he's sitting at a roadside sort of table with an umbrella on it, sipping uh, what looks to be limeade out of a ring construct glass. Now, this is one of the things I've always wondered. When the Green Lanterns create a construct, that's not really anything, you know, it's it's a light construct. It's not material. They're not gathering things out of the air or changing atomic properties or anything. So, Hal looks like, or not Hal, Guy looks like he's sipping on a drink that's been created by his ring. And that just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, basically, he's just drinking light energy, which, well, there you have it. Page three, we get the splash panel of Guy Gardner, quote-unquote, seductively holding out his leg, a la that old movie trope of the woman, you know, showing her leg to get some car to stop. Unfortunately, Guy's method is a bit more dramatic as he just stands in front of the road and allows the ongoing, I guess, farm truck to smash into him, causing all the farming materials and it looks like purple cabbage fly out of the truck and uh, scatter all over the roadway. Of course, you also see the driver of the truck uh, hurling forward and Well, you've got to assume that maybe Guy was a bit extreme on this, and there might be a few bodies to be taken care of. Page 5, panel 6. After the whole discussion about how Hal doesn't want to be a Green Lantern anymore, and deciding that they're going to go outside and fight each other, leaving the most powerful weapons in the universe on the counter of some diner in a backwater town, probably isn't the brightest move that these two people could have made. And then we go to page six, panels three and four, and we get what basically sets up is some of the wonderful stereotypes that we get in this one. We get the uh, typical BBW black waitress and her boyfriend uh, cook basically saying that, oh, it's just a couple of crackers gone fool. So, uh, of course, the boyfriend then says, well, maybe you better ought to get out of shooting range, just in case. Because, yeah, it is the South, and black people are probably going to be shot. Ugh. I hate stereotypes. Page 7, panel 1. It looks like Guy has been watching a bit too much Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoons because his attack yell is cowabunga. Awesome. Pages 7 and 8, really good fight scene, uh, well choreographed the comic. You know, it's something that you kind of have to be looking at. I can't really describe it, but there are some good throws. Uh, you can tell Guy is more just a bruiser, while How uses a bit of judo and a bit more throwing stances than Guy does. On page 9, panel 3, we get the stereotype number 2 in this comic, a big, fat, redneck sheriff. So, uh, give you an idea, if Boss Hogg and Roscoe P. Coltrane had a love child, this would be kind of what he'd look like. Now that I'm thinking about that, don't imagine that. That's a horrible image. I'm sorry I put that into your head. Page 10, Hal and Guy get thrown in into jail, and we get some background on why Guy's kind of addicted How? Hal says, Gardner, you're sick. The guy replies, the hell I am. You know what I am. America's idol. MPV of the JLA. Playboy of the Western world. And you know what makes me all that? My ring. What am I without powers? I'm just another jerk. Sure, a great jerk, but not a hero jerk. So when you say, I don't need the ring, I don't need to hang out with superheroes, what does that say about me? Now I'm supposed to feel Better than Now, how am I supposed to feel better than everyone else? Basically, uh, Jones is doing a great job at shading in Guy's character, turning him from more than just a lunk-headed hero to actually someone who has a bit more character. I really like that, and this is something that Jones will do throughout the rest of the series. Page 12, panel 2. Now, I know I'm the blue. Guardian's trying to do an ironic song of Am I Blue, but... Batman just does it so much better. And Kevin Conroy has an amazing voice. In, in fact, let's take a listen. I telling you
1: Am I blue? You'd be too If each plan that you had done fell through
0: Like I said, just awesome. Uh, let's see, page same page, page 12, panel 6, looking at the Guardian, he doesn't look like your traditional Guardian, he looks a bit like Mr. Mix's Pitlick, is that how you pronounce it? I'm going to say that's how you pronounce it. Go hit up the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, and I'm certain Jeffrey and Michael over there will be able to give you the exact definition of how you pronounce the little imp's name. Pages 13 through 15, we get a lot more set up about the on, what's going to be happening in the ongoing series, with the Guardian just randomly plucking cities from the memories of Jon Stewart and transporting them to Oa. In fact, page 15 is a really awesome shot of this spired alien city being lifted out of the ground by a green power ring beam. It's just an incredibly cool shot. Page 16, we get our next stereotype for the issue... Rednecks in overalls making chainsaw and beer constructs. Awesomeness. And then, of course, we've got our next stereotype, which would be Rednecks guzzling Jack Daniels. So, we're covering all of them, and we've got a few more to go. In fact, we've got the next one on page 19. Rednecks love big-ass ring-constructed Cadillacs. Ones that even make Elvis proud pages 20-22, to with these awesome shots of Hal using his will to affect the rings that are on the other guy's fingers. He says that he's not had to do this before, and I'm certain that he's done it before in previous issues, but if this is the first time you've read this comic, this is really cool that Hal is able to will, will the rings to do his bidding, even though he's not wearing the rings. It just kind of gives you an idea how cool Hal is. And finally, page 23, we finally get the Guy Gardner that I've grown to know and love. He's a guy who, yes, is a jerk, yes, can be a douchebag, but at least will admit that in the end, Hal Jordan is an impressive Green Lantern, and that he actually looks up with him and has a deep amount of respect for him. This is something that, you know, throughout the JLI run was never really shown about Guy and... I'm glad that Gerard Jones is doing something to kind of flesh out his character. Well, that was the notes. Let's go ahead and check out some of the amazing ads. We've got the same quirk ad that we had in the last issue of the basically 7-up spot with the spiky green hair. Incredibly horrible game. Uh, What have we got here? More about the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Monsters Compendium. Eh. Now, this is kind of interesting. I didn't notice this. There's an advertisement for Nickelodeon Magazine. This was back when Nickelodeon was just starting out. It really didn't have any of the shows that you'd know on it, like Avatar, Spongebob, or Jimmy Neutron, or anything like that. And it's odd. It's sponsored by Universal Studios, TCBY, and Pizza Hut. So, I guess the first real advertisement for the Nickelodeon channel. Kind of neat. In the middle of the comic, you get a two-page spread for an advertisement for Bonk's Adventure. Now, if you people don't remember this, back in the uh, video game age, uh, the early age after the Atari, there were the NES and the Sega Genesis, and then eventually the Super Nintendo. Well, a video game console that tried to rival that was the TurboGrafx-16, And the main title for the TurboGrafx-16 was this game, Bonk's Adventure. It was about a caveman with a hydrosphalic head who would use that head to bonk into dinosaurs, walls, and various other enemies. Along the way, he'd eat meat, of course, because that's what cavemen eat, and he'd run into flowers and get eaten by them. I never had a TurboGrafx-16, however, I do remember playing it at, like, the local mall, and, yeah, you can understand why the TurboGrafx-16 didn't go anywhere. Bonk's Adventure was a far cry worse from the Sonic the Hedgehog games or the Super Nintendo, um, Barrio Brothers games. So, there you have it. Next, we've got an ad for football cards with Dan Marino and Phil Simms. Ooh excitement and again we've got another ultimate game club and great eastern convention with spell oh this is amazing great eastern convention boston Sa- saturday and sunday august 11th and 12th of 1990 special guest todd mcfarlane you could go over there and see how gigantic of a douchebag he could be so folks, do whatever you can to build a time machine, hop back in your DeLorean, call the doctor, whatever, and go see Todd McFarlane. This guy's going places. And on the very back page, we get a, a quadrilogy, quadrilogy of games for the aforementioned Atari 7800. The failed attempt by Atari to try and reintroduce itself into the video game console wars. Like I said before, horrible controllers, not really that great games. I mean, it looks like they've got Double Dragon and Rampage, but I'm certain that the NES and the Genesis just pretty much mopped the floor with this system. But now it's time. Yes, it's time to revisit the three intrepid kids and their monkey companion, searching the jungle for some abstract plant, and enjoying their delicious sugar-filled fruit water. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you Capri Sun 100% Natural presents The Adventure, Part 4, Egging Some Poachers. You've got the first panel of the three kids and... (sighs) Harry Harry looking towards a mountain going, At last, the Flatlands, the best area to gather dry plant specimens for Dr. Stanley. And one of the kids says, Speaking of dry, I could use a cool safari punch about now. And we hear, bam, bam, bam. And one of the kids says, What's that? It sounds like gunshots. Next panel we see, Cripes, what could be worse than a charging elephant? And the other kid says, The poacher's chasing him. We've got to do something. Fast. We head to the next panel and says, One of the kids says, When their jeep comes by, pull on this vine with all you've got. I'll help Harry distract them as Harry climbs up one of the trees in the middle of the flatlands. Get the insert panel and says, Okay, I'm not as good a climber as you, but I bet I can play second base I bet you can't play second base as well as me. The kid's saying this to Harry Harry, who, of course, looks on him like an idiot because he doesn't know what a baseball is and he doesn't have opposable thumbs. Next panel we see Harry's swinging down towards the poachers as the kids pull the vine, probably decapitating them. And one of the guys yells, Ah! A wild ape! Cut to the next panel, we see Harry jumping up and down on their smash jeep and probably flinging his own poo at them while one of the kids says, Wow! When Harry Harry swooped down, the poachers were really frightened. They the girl replies, Maybe we should call him Scary Harry from now on. (laughs) Ha ha. Comedy. Final panel, it says, I knew it. As usual, Harry had a supply of cool Capri Sun hidden away. Yeah, and the the other kid says, his timing is terrific, just like his taste. Mmm, Safari Punch. And you kind of have to wonder where Harry Harry is carrying all this Capri Sun, as he doesn't have a backpack or really anything else, and... In the final shot, you've got Harry Hyrie smiling at you with the pith helmet, probably blood-soaked from the decapitated head of the uh, poachers that they just ran off into a tree. And the final panel says, The adventure continues. Watch for part five. One good fern deserves another. Yes, it's ridiculous. I, I hope you guys were able to read along with me. I hope you guys have some sort of access to these images, because this is just ridiculous stuff and really fun and with missing Twinkie ads this does kind of make up for it well that is it for this issue I appreciate all you folks listening I hope you guys come back next time we're going to be covering obviously Green Lantern 4 this time I've actually read ahead and the comics are really getting good so come back next week We'll be doing the coverage, and we'll talk with you then. Have a good weekend. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by yours truly, Sean. All ma- images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to know it. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast.gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, .com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast. You can also search me on Facebook. I mean, find me there, because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you can obviously spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening song for this week's podcast was It's Not Easy Being Green, sung by the incomparable Jim Henson as Kermit the Frog. We miss you, Jim.